beautiful listener. Thank you for joining me on episode 12 of High Tide. No matter where you're at in your journey of life, I hope the container I have built here offers you a safe space where your self-inquiry and braving life's waves is met with support and information that might help you along the way. As I further embark into the depths of getting to know myself, as well as cultivating a relationship with my body, I find myself being drawn to others in the field that support a more holistic approach to my health and well-being. We all make choices on how we can integrate modalities for our health. For me, my naturopath, Dr. Sonia Jensen, has been someone that has helped me understand things from a different perspective. She's a naturopathic doctor, a hormone expert, yoga teacher, and author. In our conversation, we explore how our stories and choices can impact our health. We also dive into my own inquiries about fertility and hormones. The more I sit with the miraculous nature of what we're capable of, the more I realize there is much to revere and that this is a gift we all have access to within our individual journeys. I hope this episode informs you on areas you might be curious about as well as it did for me. Without further ado, here is our conversation. Hi, Dr. Sonia. I'm so excited to speak with you today. You caught my attention. I'm at a webinar with Dr. Zach Bush hosted a few months ago, and it covered fertility, childhood development, and puberty. When you told the story of what happens when a woman conceives, I was so captivated. And there was something so impactful about how you framed it. And I knew that I just had to speak with you. So I was really excited to find out you were in our hometown. And now you're my naturopathic doctor, which I love so much. And I'm so glad you're here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, it's so great that you've created this space to share your heart and yourself and all the guests that you have on here. So I'm really honored that you asked me to be here today with you. Thank you. So the first time I met you, well, I've seen you a handful of times and every time I just end up crying (laughs) in a good way because I find our sessions so cathartic and I always feel so educated when I speak Mm -hmm. with you and supported, which is really important. And I love how you take the time to really listen to me and just really unpack like everything that's going on in my body and then correlate it to your educated background on what is going on inside my microbiome and my hormones and all the things. So before we dive into all that, I was hoping, you know, like in my own fertility journey and just being later into my 30s, back to what I was saying about the story you shared on Dr. Zach Bush's webinar. I was hoping you could share that with us because I thought it was Mm. so important and a great way to start our conversation. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I think it's such an important story to anchor into because it does bring us back to that remembrance Mm -hmm. of how amazing we really are and what it took for us to specifically be here in this time and all the various decisions and actions even our ancestors had to take in order for us to be here in this moment. And, you know, our story really does begin even in our grandmother's womb because the eggs are already being built in your mother's ovaries at that time. And then that story, those imprints, those, all those things are starting to already navigate themselves into our cells. And then, you know, fast forward, now it's our time to maybe conceive or, you know, we're thinking about birthing a child into this world. And what we forget is that how miraculous that whole system is, that reproductive system. And Mm -hmm. that story really begins in that moment of ovulation, right? Often we relate to our cycle in a kind of a way that it's a hindrance or it's stopping us from doing all the things we need to do. And this relationship that we have with our reproductive organs and our hormones, I think really needs to change. And so when we can understand what's happening around that time and how amazing it is, I think it kind of changes this uh, disappointment that shows up every month to more reverence towards our bodies. And so in the beginning, we have, you know, in our ovaries, there's going to be like a follicle that decides. So the way I kind of look at things, I look at very energetic way. So I'm imagining this follicle, like now ready to conquer the world and ready to take a chance at having life stored in her. And so this follicle shows up and starts to secrete itself out of the egg. And there's the fallopian tube kind of waiting to receive. 
And there's these little tentacles that are called fimbrae. Like you can kind of imagine little arms like waiting to receive. Mm -hmm. And that really is that first moment of acceptance and surrender that we tap into. And so here now we have an ovum that goes into the fimbrae and starts making its way down the fallopian tube and kind of sits in the middle of the fallopian tube. And I imagine it sitting there in this like meditative posture now waiting waiting for that opportunity. And it starts to actually secrete chemoattractants to make sure that whatever sperm shows up has the capacity to create a healthy fetus. So already she is thinking about the next generation, right? She's already making sure that the information that moves forward in the world is going to be one that can serve the world. And so she sits there and while that's happening and if sperm is coming in, there's millions of sperm that come in at once, but only a few make it up to the fallopian tube. So they too are going through various tests through the cervical mucus in the uterus and now in the fallopian tube. So she's already testing them every step along the way. And then there's a few left that have to kind of present themselves in front of her. And then when she allows one to come in. And so that's also like a, that's where I paused even in the webinar of that understanding of how it always has been the matriarch that allows and needs to learn how to receive, which we women are not really taught how to do because of the patriarchal world that we live in. And without that, life would not be here. Without the matriarch, life would not move forward. So I do feel like that moment where she accepts this presence of this more yang energy, this patriarchal energy is her way of saying that it's time to move forward. And so that happens. And now they've created a union and they make their way down through the fallopian tube and around the uterus wall. And now they have to make this conscious decision to become one and move into that uterine lining. And then as they're embedding themselves in the lining, there's like blood vessels growing out of them and they're, you know, making their way, embedding themselves into the tissue. And now that those blood vessels are merging with the mother's blood vessels, creating that first relationship. Because no matter who we are, no matter what our relationship is to our past and to our mothers and to our lineage, that is our first relationship, no matter what. And so I do feel like when we start to understand that story of us, of how we were created in the womb at that time, it gives us a moment to be able to step back and recognize the fact that we didn't have to do anything. And Mm -hmm. all of this, the universe created this experience, this moment for us to be here. We didn't have to push. We were pulled We didn't have to control our environment. That was already done for us. So if we step into life with that same reverence, with that same understanding, we then can kind of let go a little bit of the charge, let go of the control that we have, let go of things that we we may feel we need to always have a handle on, but instead we can start to receive, we can start to surrender, we can start to trust. And I think that's the biggest thing from that story is us being able to trust what the universe is providing. That is so powerful. It makes me teary the second time I'm hearing it. And there's so much to say about it. How do you, like as women, I I feel like this conversation will be geared a lot towards women and our Mm -hmm. fertility journeys and just hormones and everything like that. But how in a society where we've been so conditioned to control or, you know, like a lot of the things that, we think we want to control are so external and how do we get out of our own way Mm. amid a time when it feels like so much has been taught to us that is not like natural and where we can prescribe something to fix something or Mm. we're conditioned to like hate our cycles. Like how many times in my own life have I said like, Oh, I can't, my period's here. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna, I, I write myself off almost because the symptoms feel heavy and like, how do we learn to integrate a different relationship with it so that we can further honor that and mm-hmm. maybe experience a different, ex- mm-hmm. yeah, different type of experience in the way our cycles yeah. show up and how we learn to lean into what happens inside our yeah. bodies and revere it yeah. because it's, it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really hoping that my book begins that conversation for many women within themselves and 
this understanding of why everything happens the way it does and how it's actually serving us. And it's not happening to us. It's happening for us mm-hmm. and how we can have a better understanding of ourselves and our own intricate hormonal blueprint. That's very unique from the woman next to us. There's many similarities, of course, but also just understanding us. So understanding the basics and educating, I think women from a young age is really important that you are powerful. Like I just had one of my best friends, her daughter just had her first period and I made sure I took time out and I phoned her, I FaceTimed with her and I was like, this is such a powerful moment for you. And really wanted to anchor that word inside of her of empowerment, that this is your gift and this is what's going to empower you. And I think just doing that in itself, that will help support them ask questions when someone is saying, oh, you have cramps, take birth control. Oh, this is going on. Let's just shut it down. Oh, I'll just give you an injection so you don't have to have your period. So then they're going to start questioning. Mm-hmm. Cause the first thing really is questioning why we take the actions that we do and why we believe what we believe. Cause I do feel like the power is in the storyteller. So if you're right. a storyteller, whether it was a parent, a grandparent, a teacher or media, whoever was around you is the storyteller and tells you how to believe or what to believe, then I would question that first and then have an understanding of how the different elements in my body are changing every month and throughout the month. So knowing the first half of my cycle, like, right. So we'll go through four steps. When we're bleeding, it is a time of detoxification. It is a time of letting go. It is a time of surrender. And it is a time to be with oneself. This is where women can fast more. This is where we can get really tapped into our spirituality. This is where we can really create. And after that, after we've done bleeding, there's a time between that and ovulation where all of a sudden estrogen and testosterone are really high. This is a time for action. So this is where your meetings should be held. This is where all the things that need to be done, get done. This is where your workouts are going to be a little bit harder. This is where maybe you're eating a little bit more ketos so or you're eating like healthy fats and proteins and in that kind of a way, then ovulation happens. This is a time where there's that huge creative potential happening in your body. Like that story we spoke about in the beginning. So this is a time to reflect, right? So this is a time to journal. This is a time to connect with the moon. This is a time to understand that there's a shift happening now in my psyche for the next half of the month. Because now this next half of the month is all about internal work. It's not about the meetings. It's not about the external world. It's all about going in more. Libido is going to be lower because now testosterone isn't existing anymore. It's gone after ovulation. Our energy is going to be lower. We're naturally going to want to say no to parties and gatherings and all the things because this is that time of deep reflection and nurturing. And this is usually where women feel the anxieties and the things showing up because we're going against the nature. We're going against our natural tendency. So when we start to understand that about ourselves, we have more grace because life isn't going to change itself according to our cycle, unfortunately. You know, if you have kids, they're not going to change. If you have schedules, you have a work schedule that's nine to five every day. That's probably not going to change unless you have your own business. You can kind of coordinate things a little bit differently. But if that outside world is not going to change, your understanding of yourself can change. Then you can have more grace of like, okay, why don't I feel motivated right now? Oh, right. I'm in this part of my cycle. Of course, I'm a little bit more emotional. You know, of course, this is going on. So we can just be more gentle with ourselves then. Yeah. And it's so amazing what you said, because in my own experience of my cycle, I've never been educated about it in that sense where you could break it down into these four stages. And then what happens? It's like you get a period and you bleed. And then like, yeah. but I've noticed the more I tune into myself, Before I get it, I usually feel heavier and just like weighted with emotion. Mm -hmm. My body bloats up. And then when I have it, it almost feels like this release. And I think in one of our appointments, we were talking about it. And I was saying, it's so funny how like, I know that a lot of women don't like getting it. It's Mm -hmm. not always feeling fun. And I I get that, like the symptoms that come along with it are not always Mm -hmm. fun. And I always felt like I welcomed it because it felt like when I had it, it was just very releasing. And I always felt after the bleed, there was a surge in energy. Is that right? Because I was reading something on your site that was saying how there's estrogen and progesterone. Is it during the luteal phase? Mm -hmm. And so that those levels change as the cycle goes through. So to further this, like, how can we understand what a hormone actually is? Because mm-hmm. I've never really 
broken that down for myself. And, you know, like I know that when woman is trying to conceive, it really helps if their hormonal levels are kind of balanced, right? Like that's, doesn't that play an important role in the way of the embryo implanting into the uterus? Like there needs to be Mm -hmm. presence of more progesterone. Is that true? That's right. Yeah. So the way I like to describe hormones is that they're, they're messengers. They're basically carrying your story. Often we think they're a cause of an issue, but they're really an effect. So they're constantly responding and navigating their messages according to the stimulus that they get. So that could be from your environment. So what we're eating, the toxicity, the chemicals, like all the various things, the infections that can be our emotional environment, the thoughts that we're having. And then there's the past traumas, the experiences that we've had that have now created a certain circuit in our hormonal system and certain messages that are more concrete in our mind than other messages. So example of that is when we're under stress, we release a hormone called cortisol which is our stress hormone and adrenaline. And we do that for survival. We do that so that the blood can rush to our muscles so that we can pull more blood sugar into the system. So we have energy, so we can increase our heart rate. So we can really run away from that moment and Mm -hmm. make sure we do what we need to do to survive. When that's happening, cortisol comes from progesterone, which is that hormone, like you were speaking of, that we need for fertility because it actually helps egg implant and it actually helps pregnancy stay It helps create calm nervous system. So it's anti-anxiety. It's the one that regulates our cycle. But if we're in a constant state of stress, and that's the message that the hormones are getting, that our pituitary gland, which is the master gland, is getting that, hey, she's under constant stress. She doesn't have time to make progesterone and estrogen and testosterone. She's in danger. And that danger in our mind could be an argument with a partner. It could be a deadline that we're trying to meet. It could be a student studying for an exam. The brain can't tell the difference. All the brain knows is that, oh, I felt this before. It doesn't feel good. It feels like I'm in danger. It doesn't feel safe. I need to create this circuit in order to make sure that she's taken care of. And so here we are, we can't survive and thrive at the same time. But our thriving hormones, our sex hormones are like estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, there's DHEA, growth hormone, all these other ones. So estrogen is more dominant the first half of our cycle. Testosterone will increase during ovulation. And then progesterone is more dominant in the last half. Often what I'm seeing is that in that last half, progesterone is not getting to spike like it needs to because Mm -hmm. of the constant stresses. And then throw in like gut health. If gut health isn't there, if we've suffered IBS or constipation or just inflammation in the gut or for eating things that the body doesn't like, there is a certain set of bacteria in the gut that work on our hormones that actually work on detoxifying external estrogens from the environment. And if the gut's not working, that system's not working. So now the last half of our cycle, when that progesterone needs to go up, those false estrogens are sitting there and they're also inhibiting the progesterone from going up. So now the ratio between progesterone and estrogen is off. So there's many different ways that the hormones get influenced. I think what we deeply need to understand is that they're not the cause of the problem. There's something upstream that's telling them to do what they're doing. My God. (laughs) So that's such a crazy thing to wrap my brain around. Mm being 38. And and this is something I don't think about because with my son, I was really privileged. Like we were in a peaceful environment. We made the decision to try and conceive. And I understand the incredible miracle that like it didn't take as much time for my son, Koa. And now in this second leg of my journey where we're ready to expand our family, I'm so cognizant of how much more stress that we have in our life now that we're Mm -hmm. doing life in the first year with our baby and just all the different elements that are happening around us within our workplace and just the pandemic, even the mental fog that's Mm -hmm. occurred from that and just how it's really hard to to honor that space of self-care and time and space where you can recalibrate and bring balance to your life. And I think I think there's so much more than the physical aspect of like having intercourse and conceiving and Mm -hmm. and everything you're saying, the story we tell, the messages we give our body. And like, we've forgotten how to respect the fact that each individual body has its own microbiome. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like, in society, you're kind of educated to this is how you make a baby. And this is what Mm -hmm. happens when you have sex, but it's so generalized 
that Mm -hmm. I feel like if the story was told or educated in this way, we might choose different choices in the way we approach the whole sacred thing that is conceiving. For example, with birth control in high school, you know, like, or even in your twenties or thirties, women are like, I don't want to get pregnant. So we do everything in our power to not let that, well, it's not an accident, but you know, like if that were to happen and it would be so easy to pop a pill. I myself, I took birth control, not knowing what the heck, like I just knew there was all these different types with different levels of estrogen and progesterone. There was so many things on the market. They gave it away for free pretty much so that you could have like intercourse without worrying about the pregnancy factor. However, I think if I had actually been sat down and educated, or even if I took the time myself, if I was more in a mindful space to relate to my body and understand what the long-term effects of that decision making might have in the way of fertility down the road. I just wonder if maybe we'd make different decisions. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing that your best friend had access to you to speak to her daughter because I, I revere it now. I see it so much as a gift the fact that we have our cycles and that tells me that I am fertile and that it is possible to procreate and just, yeah. I mean, how do we, how do we further go into that? Because everything you're saying about the levels too, and the way we apply working out down to what we Mm -hmm. eat, as well as I would even go as far as who we spend our time with, Mm -hmm. because those two are messages we receive and the energy that we, we exchange amid the people we keep our closest company with even. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's all so much and it's also so powerful, very empowering Mm -hmm. to know this stuff. And I'm Mm -hmm. only tuning into it now after becoming a mother for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many layers to it because we have so many embedded stories about our worth and what we need to do to receive love and, and belong. So saying no to something might feel like we're going to offend the other person. So then they're not going to love us anymore. And how will we belong to this tribe if we're taking care of ourselves, not showing up the way we need to show up. And so I think a lot of that plays a role in us stopping ourselves from having the education or understanding. And so I'll backtrack first to the, the birth control piece. I do think the education around that does need to change because every woman's going to be in a different place in her life. And I'm not anti-birth control at all. What I what I get upset about is the lack of information that woman receives when she's making that very important choice to put something in her body and she does not know what the ramifications of that is. There's actually a really great book by Dr. Sarah Hill called Your Brain on Birth Control. And I think every young woman needs to read that. Because it really does go over research and just what really happens and in a very neutral way. So you have an understanding and then you can make a choice. Like, okay, which form of birth control would be best for me? And you can ask the questions and understand, okay, how can I support myself if I decide to do this? Or do I do this for a long period of time and then take a break? You know, there's so many different ways that you can work with birth control that can serve you. So I speak to this a little bit in my book too. It's like, when you're taking certain types of birth control, what it does, it actually numbs our brains in many ways. It numbs emotions in many ways. So it changes our decisions. It changes who we actually pick as partners in many ways. The other thing that it does though, it gives you this other motivation because it, it kind of turns off that reproductive desire. So then when you turn that off, all of a sudden now you're more in your yang energy. So for somebody that's maybe, you know, in university or is really determined to do something, it may give them that extra edge to do that because now that reproductive side of the female brain is kind of turned off. But then there's a consequence to shifting things that nature has intended, right? But if we understand them, then we can make those conscious decisions. So I do think by educating is what we're going to, we're going to change the conversation around birth control and have it more openly. So women understand what it does. Some women don't even know that when you're taking a progesterone pill, like one of those progesterone only pills, it actually comes from testosterone. So then they'll ask me like, I have zero libido now, all of a sudden my libido is gone. And it's because it's mimicking testosterone. So it's blocking receptors in your brain and in your body. So now you're not getting that surge of testosterone that you normally would throughout the month. So there's so many intricacies that women don't know, but then what starts to happen is we start having this dialogue of like, there's something wrong with me. Why don't I feel like this? Why don't I have energy? Why can't I be motivated? And yet here's this thing that's blocking all of that within us. 
And then if we have those old stories that we've been carrying for so long, that saying no to, you know, if it's like a family function or if it's a friend in need that needs something from us, saying no to that because of where we are in our cycle or because of how we're feeling is going to feel like we're getting kicked out of a tribe. And that instantly will activate our survival mechanism that will tell the brain, oh gosh, she's in danger again. So now here we are going into this like rapid cycle. So, you know, yes, it's important to understand the physiology, but it's so important to understand how we see ourselves, what we believe and how we can shift that relationship with our mind. So it's not controlling our actions, but instead we're being curious about why we feel the need to please or why we feel the need to say yes to everything and at our own suffering. And that really has been handed down and passed down by many generations of women, right? Because they were always sacrificing for the whole. And there's such beauty in that because we do have that nurturing element, that yin Mm -hmm. element of wanting to take care, but not by, you know, having an empty cup. It's, It's going back to that simplicity of like filling your cup up first so that you can overspill and do the same for the other. Right. Yeah, I have this fabulous mentor and she always talks about reminds me that like you can't get there from there like it's actually more beneficial to you and the tribe around you when you actually fill your cup up first and realign because it's so hard to make important decisions from an empty cup like and then we're also so prone to self-abandoning in order to include the other in no matter if it's a like superior or a relationship or anything a child And we think we're doing the right thing. And yet that feeling of like void inside ourselves often goes ignored because we're told that that's, or we're shown that that's what we have to do. And I think as women, it's so hard to tune out that switch that naturally wants to give, give and give. Yeah. So circling back to your story at the start to learn to receive is such an important counterbalance because it's Mm. something that we've forgotten how to do. I also want to like, you've mentioned your book a couple of times and I want to talk about that book because it sounds amazing. It's called Women Unleashed, which it was released recently. And in the book, there's a quote and it says, the core of human suffering and the core of all disease is disconnect. Disconnect from oneself, from one's soul's purpose, from one's community and form one's ability to forgive others' circumstances and self. And I think that's such a powerful quote, Mm -hmm. so correlated with everything we're talking about. What is something from your experience of writing this book and your experience of working with patients, what is one thing you fundamentally wish that all women would Mm -hmm. integrate into their something simple like their daily self-care routine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, something as simple as just um, looking in the mirror and saying, I love you. It's just so hard. It's so hard, you know. Oh my God. Um, the first thing we do is when we look at ourselves, we criticize or yeah. we're thinking about what, what's next and what we need to do today and all the, all the various things. But what if we just paused and really saw ourselves for who we are in that moment and congratulate ourselves for another day and really look inside our eyes, not even our physical form, but in our eyes while everything else dissolves. And then slowly, I do think we'll start falling in love with ourselves again, because we were in love with ourselves when we were born. But that changes over time through the different experiences, through the different responses that we received from, you know, people that care for us or teachers or, you know, the outside world. We were always like watching their facial expressions or watching how they were responding to us being us. And then slowly we lose sight of that And I think if we remember that, it'll change so much of what we do. I was watching this thing by Mel Robbins and she was like, she does the high five. The high five, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you just do this every day and it feels so silly at first, but I think it's so important to do the thing we're so keen to give away and encourage and support the people in our life. And we forget Mm -hmm. to give that to ourselves. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about how in society too, I find that there's such an attainable standard of beauty. And I witnessed this so much as a hairdresser and you talk, I talk to clients, lots of women every single day. And there's such a powerful correlation in the language we use in ourselves when you're saying just now how we self-criticize and the struggle it is to actually look in the mirror and say, I love you. How do we like 
even for women that are younger, the preteens, I find, especially with all the things in social media and Mm -hmm. the peer influence now is so much more different Mm -hmm. from when I was 12 or 13. I noticed that there's a lot of overreaching and I understand there's this this immense desire to just want to fit in. And I think that continues through our whole life until we actually build that relationship with ourselves and realize that the thing we need has been there all along and it's never going to leave us and that our self-worth and love are provided in abundant supply once we awaken to it. But I, I do have a lot of conversations with parents of young teens and young teens themselves and just women in general who struggle with this so much. What's something that you can offer in the way of advice in order to strengthen that because mm. when there's so much distraction externally, yeah, it's so hard when we don't have immediate access to someone like you yeah. who is so informative. I mean, one way is to get your book and that sounds like it's yeah. packed with a lot of information, but yeah, what's something our listeners can take yeah. away? Yeah. It's so a different stage. I feel like it's going to be a little bit different. The young ones are watching around, right? They're watching who's around them and how they're responding. So if we think back to our own life and when we were at that stage, we too were kind of watching and listening on how the women in our life are responding. So I feel like it is our responsibility now to model that for the young ones. And there's this huge push for this like anti-aging era, right? So we constantly are telling the young women in our life that aging is hard that we want to do everything and anything we can to stop that in its tracks. So I think the more we embrace ourselves, the more we embrace this process of moving into like our wisdom years and change, culturally changing our relationship to elders, because I think that's where the trickle effect is going to happen. When they start to see how we respect our elders, how we go to our elders for wisdom, how they are the wisdom keepers in that stage yeah. and how as we transition, we too are transitioning with the times and Focusing on, you know, defining like what is beauty and understanding that about ourselves. Because as much as we all say that, you know, we know beauty is within. And yet, you know, I put on makeup before I came on here because I was, you know, feeling tired and I was like, oh, but I think it's the relationship with what we're doing and the intention. So my young boys, like they'll ask me, like, why do you put makeup on? And to me, it feels like art, right? It really does feel like I'm enhancing what's already there. Right. So then we have to, I I feel like the more curious we are about the things that we do every day and the thoughts that we have, the more we start to unravel where the story began. Like where were we first told we needed to wear makeup or where were we first or where do we first see that? Like for me, when I smell lipstick, it reminds me of my mom. Right. So we have these like memories entwined with the actions that we do because it makes us feel a certain way. So when we start to become curious about that, we then start to understand ourselves better. And then from there, we can start defining like, what it, what does success mean to me? What does beauty mean to me? What am I willing to give up to get those things? What am I going to lose if I keep going down the path that I'm going? And what am I gaining from going down the same path? So I feel like the more we start questioning our actions and our responses to life, the easier that will become to communicate to the younger generation. And there's a lot that we now can't control, right? Because like you were saying with the social media and everything, they have access to things that we never had access to. So what we can control is our conversations in our home, how we show up in our home. So one child at a time, but that comes from first looking in the mirror with ourselves. We are not going to change the next generation if we don't change ourselves first. A hundred percent. I was in the field of like self-help even it's even that can be a bit seductive and toxic mm-hmm. positivity where, you know, they're like, be your best self, just love yourself. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. all these things, that's not easy, <laughs> which is not easy. However, mm-hmm. I feel like it doesn't always embrace that being our best self is sometimes just learning to have a different relationship with struggle and including all the components that surface amid change. And I think, yeah, I was reading something the other day where it said like, it's not normal to feel shitty during this time. And like a lot of the language and the nuance is like, Mm -hmm. let's normalize the struggle. And I think it's Mm -hmm. normal to struggle. And how do we embody a different relationship to that in the way that we can confidently make different decisions because I, I think that's the pattern. Like I know for myself, even in coming to you, like I wanted information about 
more holistic ways in which I can manage my body. And we went like deep into energy and trauma stories. Mm -hmm. And I think with trauma too, in my experience of conversing with so many through the years of my job and even through this podcast, we think that trauma needs to be like something so big and defined when trauma is a lot of different degrees of things according to each individual's experience. And I'm not dismissing the big things because those Mm -hmm. are definitely so worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. I just think also sometimes trauma could be sitting at the lunch table alone in high school and feeling ignored or being yelled at one time. And for some reason you keep it inside. And Mm -hmm. I notice even for myself when I'm having an emotional time, or if I have a fight with my partner or something that's really bugging me, when I don't unpack that and there's nowhere for it to go, I feel literally like crap. Like just, it has nowhere to go, but inside my cells and I feel lethargic and tired. So I just think I'm so thankful that you're doing work that correlates the messages from our stories with the impacts it has on our bodies. And I wish that was something we understood more of, like even in high school, could you imagine if that was like a fundamental part of the curriculum? That's my goal. Uh, That's my desire. Even with my book, I'm really trying to see if I can get that into high schools and yeah, and speaking. Yeah. Cause let's talk about trauma too. And the impact Mm. of that, like, yeah, I don't know. Like I feel like for myself, my parents really, really love me. And I had the privilege of having a great relationship with them. And also they immigrated, they were on survival mode Mm -hmm. and they provided for us in the best way they could. And then as I got older and started to have questions about my own body and just my relationship with the world even, or just more so myself, it wasn't something I felt confident enough to talk to my own parents about. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was something that that was on their mind either. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if it was something that was taught to them. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it only happened later on in life when I started to question like, wow, I I love the feeling of how I make a different decision and then I relate differently with me and then the world relates differently with you too. Like mm-hmm. things just start to alchemize in ways that I didn't know I had access to. And so that got me more and more curious. And I do see the results of those decisions and how impactful they can be. So mm-hmm. how as parents, I mean, there's so much in the way of like your book and all that, but within our own homes, even, and just modeling, like what are other ways that we could help build that foundation? Yeah. What we've started doing is we have um, Sunday night meetings in our family. And it's a time that we've created in a space we've created where they get to say whatever they need to say and nobody gets to respond. We just sit and we, we listen. And the goal of that is for them to bring forth questions. So if they have questions, we respond, but if they're just making statements or if they're talking about their challenges that they just want to like get out there. We're trying to create a space where they feel comfortable bringing to the table, whatever it is that's going on in their life. And now mine are seven and 10. So sometimes those conversations are, you know, about dinosaurs or whatever, and it could be (laughs) anything, but it's just the idea of creating this clear communication. And what we've really tried to practice, we're not perfect parents. I know my boys are going to be carrying stories with them. And a lot of it's unintentional from a parent's point of view. I think we all do the best that we can with the information that we have. Like my parents also were immigrants and they did give us love in the form of love that they understood. Right. From what they received, their form of love was providing for educating us, for making sure we had a safe home. So mm-hmm. that was their form of love. But when it came to the emotional support, that wasn't part of their psyche. That just wasn't part of who they were because they right. did not receive that. So that's stuff that I've had to unpack. And so my son, what I've noticed with me writing this book and seeing you know, his parents, both doctors, they have a clinic. All of a sudden, one day he said, everything's easy for you. It's not easy for me. Wow. He's challenged with reading and writing. Right. So I had to really shift how I was speaking to him about his experience with school or his experience, really get, taking myself out of the equation. Because as parents, often as our kids are going through certain stages, we too are going through those stages with them and have, we'll have remembrance of our own traumas. And like you said, it could be big T traumas or little T traumas. So mm-hmm. we're having that remembrance. I had a friend of mine that I was talking to once and she was feeling worried about her daughter going to school because she got made fun of when she was little. Right. So she really wanted to make sure her daughter was dressed a certain way and looked a certain way. 
and would fit in because she had her own story, but forgot that her daughter is her own individual. Yeah. So we often pack our stories onto our kids and forget that they've already come in with the knowing. We're just here to guide them. So I think if we can, as hard as it is to kind of separate that <laughs> that self, that ego self from our children and know that we are here to guide and then step aside is what the is advice that I received when I had my firstborn is you guide and you step aside. Yeah. And you listen and you watch and then you help them when they ask for help. And I think the more we do that, the easier it becomes for them to understand that they have ownership of their life, that they they can come to you as their like cozy cushion, as they're navigating the world, they they have their home, they have a place to land. I think that's the best that we can do for our kids. And it's going to be messy. And we admit our messiness to our kids. Like I will mess up and I will say, I'm sorry. It's little things, right? Like it's Christmas week, of course, right now before school. So I forgot to buy a present for one of the kids in his class. (laughs) I forgot to do this and this craft fair stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm so sorry. I'm so caught up with my book launch that I could not create space to do that right now because yeah. I'm I maxed out. So I think the more vulnerable we are with our kids because they get it. They know when we're lying. They know when we're not being authentic. So I think instead of putting on this brave face of like, I got this covered, this parenting thing down when we mm-hmm. don't, I think is what creates trust between yeah. us and them and for them to understand that, okay, the world doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect and it's still okay. There's still love. Yeah, that is such a, powerful, powerful thing, especially as a parent. Because with my son too, I've become so cognizant of like the language we use when he's being stressed out, like when he feels stressed out. And I'm learning that sometimes, well, always, I think it's just so important more than anything to hold space for all the emotions that come up, you know, and Mm -hmm. naturally, like I wanted to say, and my partner too, we work on our language because we want to say like, if he's crying, you're okay, you're okay. Mm. and really like he's not okay this is his way of communicating with us that something is off whether he needs food or a diaper change or just love and attention validation and validation and just to make it a safe space for him to know that hey like i see you Mm. i know it's really hard right now and i can't imagine too as a grown-up not being able to vocalize what your need is and so for our children who don't already have all of that conditioning worked out when to be able to communicate with their words, for example, it's so important for them to have that Mm -hmm. safe space, like you said. And it also encourages autonomy and just Mm -hmm. building that self-esteem and confidence to make choices themselves as they grow, which what you said before is so hard as a parent not to make it about ourselves and to model for them something different, which also leads to the power of like shifting the story. If there's a quote that's something like, once you heal, your trauma, you heal seven generations before Before, and seven generations ahead. Yeah. 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 I love that so much. I, I wanted to also talk about, because I know you're also a yoga teacher and you have some education on, I know you're so familiar with the movement of the body, but going further into, because we've talked about in-person fasting, Mm -hmm. intermittent fasting and how that can affect going back to hormones. Mm -hmm. How can we integrate that? Because this is another thing about our relationship with our bodies is like before I understood things and I wanted to just lose weight as a quick fix because I thought I would feel better. I feel now that since becoming a mom, my relationship to my body has shifted dramatically and it isn't about like, I want to be skinny again or whatever. Like it doesn't even make sense to me now that I understand how hard our bodies work for us. But I think there's a huge association with people that want quick fixes, like I'll intermittent fast, I'll do keto, I'll do paleo, whatever, without actually understanding what our bodies are doing as a result of making those choices. So how can we healthily incorporate intermittent fasting? Because I've read so much about it and there's a lot of benefits like autophagy. How can it play a role in helping to level out our hormones? Yeah, that's a great question. And also the understanding of like how different it is for women and men. Most of the studies that have been done have been done on men because men have a 24 hour hormonal cycle. So they're kind of the same every single day. Mm. So they can eat the same every single day, not the same things, but they could have one meal a day and thrive with that. Right. Whereas women, because we're cycling in a very different way and depending on where we are in our lifetime. So if we're in our 20s, 30s, 40s, like everything's changing every decade. So understanding first our rhythm. So if you're a woman that's menstruating still, if you are not on the pill, 
and you understand that your cycle has these different waves throughout the month, we know if we intuitively tune in to our cycle that when we're bleeding, the body actually doesn't want a lot of food because it's a time of detoxification. Mm. So this is where we can fast longer. So this is where having just soups and stews and things that are like really light in the body is going to be helpful. But when it comes to right afterwards and estrogen and testosterone are more dominant, how can we serve estrogen? We can eat more healthy fat. We can eat more nuts and seeds. We can have more avocados. We can have those kinds of things. And we can actually fast a little bit longer because there's more sustainability there. Right. We can contain our nutrients. We can contain these dense nutrients in our body to serve our hormones the way they need to be served. Become ovulation and after ovulation, the body needs higher carbs. We need more food because the body, no matter what, whether you get pregnant or not, is preparing for pregnancy. So if we're preparing for pregnancy, it does not want to feel lack. So if we're fasting too much, it's going to create lack. It's going to create the stress hormones to go up and then our progesterone to come down. So this is where women will start losing hair. They'll start getting more irritability during that time, more PMS. And all of a sudden, you know, their periods are irregular or they're missing periods because we're not paying attention to that rhythm. So understanding that there is that monthly rhythm and there's a seasonal rhythm. So during these months, in the winter months, we can fast just a little bit more because of the level of darkness that's around, because of the the weather, depending on where you are in the world. So we can eat a bit more like healthy fats and proteins and all these things, again, to sustain us longer. Whereas come spring and summer, where there's more availability of fruit and all these other abundant vegetables and we're like really eating from the gardens, we're going to eat more and probably even more often. And our window now will change from, so in the winter, maybe you're doing a eating window of six to eight hours, but maybe in the spring and summer, that window ends up being 12 hours because they're longer days as well. Right. So if you start to go with the rhythm of the seasons, the rhythm of your season of where you are in life, that is what creates a healthy pattern with fasting. Because we, for history, have always fasted. There's always been feast and famine. We in our modern world, everything's available to us all the time. We've lost touch with that. And then in our daily life, intermittent fasting can be a beautiful way because even giving your body a break of 12 hours to really digest itself and the food and rest and recover so that once you bring the food in, it's not creating havoc. Because when it comes to hormones with food, every time we eat, we release glucose. Every time we release glucose, we're increasing insulin. If we're doing that too often throughout the day, insulin is going to suppress progesterone, testosterone, and so estrogen. Interesting. So it's all connected. If you think back to your great grandmother or even grandmother, depending on what generation you are and how she ate, it'd be very different than us. She was probably working really hard. Like we were having this conversation yesterday with my parents and they're from India and they didn't have refrigerators. Everything wow. was made daily and fresh. They made stuff for breakfast. They made stuff for lunch. They made stuff for dinner. So in between there, they're working hard to do all of that. They're getting the milk from the cows. They're making the way they're making everything. They're grinding the wheat. They're, they're doing all that physical work to get the next meal ready. Whereas here, if we were doing that sitting at our desk, we have a plate of snacks over here. We've got these snacks over there. We've got more snacks in our pockets, right? Well, we've become grazers essentially. We've become grazers and that's not our tendency. I mean, if you're pregnant, if you're nursing, things change and shift, not so much in pregnancy, but they definitely change when you're nursing because the requirements have changed in your physiology for different kinds of foods, but it's not how much you eat, it's the quality. If you're eating quality foods, your body's going to feel satiated. When we're not feeling satiated and snacking all the time, because we're not satiated in our life, there's something there's a void or there's something missing that we're not feeling satisfied in. And the foods that we're eating aren't satisfying ourselves. So that's where we have to become curious about how am I feeding myself? How am I nourishing myself on a continuous basis? And where is the food even coming from? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Because I feel like so much happens in our gut health that is connected to everything else. And I just find it so funny how we'll spend so much time on trying to lose weight, but yet if we took a fraction of that time to educate our mindset and the emotional well-being of what happens as a result, that route might actually become easier and faster because mm-hmm. we would make different choices. Yeah. Your intention changes, your relationship changes to yeah. the food. You think you look at it as like real pure nourishment. And yeah. when that changes, then everything changes. Wow. That's amazing. I wanted to also, I know we have just a little bit of time here, but the other thing I want to talk about is 
in yoga. I know that you are doing a workshop. I think it's with Dr. Mindy Peltz and it's the hormone one, right? Yeah, we did it last week, December 4th. December 4th. I noticed that recently. Could you give us a little bit of insight as to how we could access more of these workshops you put on? Because they're so informative. Absolutely. Yeah. If you just go to drsoniajensen.com and put your email in, we send out newsletters or even divineelements.ca, either ones. I used to do monthly women's workshops and because of COVID, all that changed. But starting January, I'm actually creating them again. And I'm actually creating a six week long yoga woman unleashed kind of mentorship book slash book club. So it's like a woman unleashed journey and we'll be doing yoga together. We'll be having conversations every week. Everyone will have access to me throughout the week and each other. So I'm trying to create a woman unleashed tribe, essentially of a community mm-hmm. of women that can support each other during that time. So that's what I'm doing right now. And yeah, so the, I teach Kundalini yoga, also um, Bhakti yoga and the more like tantric style yoga as well. So I kind of combine it all bring it together. That's really cool. Can any woman join your webinars? Like what, what are the age ranges? Like could a preteen who just got her period? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I've had young, young women come to my physical workshops too, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Can you give us your Instagram handle and where we can get your book and all those things? Yeah, for sure. So my Instagram is Dr. Sonia Jensen. And for the book right now for Canadians, Indigo, Website will be the best place to go. Amazon ran out, so they're getting more. If you're in the US, you can still go on to Amazon, really anywhere in the world. You can go on to Amazon, US, Barnes and Nobles, and some of these other places. So you can go to womanunleashedbook.com or you can go straight to Indigo if you're in Canada. Okay, that's so great. And are you taking new patients at your practice? I am. I will never turn anybody away. I will make room. You, yeah, I feel like if you're in the greater Vancouver area, definitely check out Dr. Sonia. You're on West Broadway, a very beautiful clinic. Yeah. And I just, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I feel like we exchanged a lot of really helpful information in the way, especially women can relate to their bodies. And I just love the work that you do educating women and young women on how we can show up differently and just the impact of our stories and how it's correlated with the unfolding of our our bodies so thank you so much for coming on oh thank you thank you for creating this container i mean you make it really easy to be ourselves and conversate and talk about what's important so thank you thank you it's all i ever hope for in in the little ways we can show up to i will talk to you soon and have a beautiful day thank you you too okay bye This conversation had me confronting stories I have learned to no longer serve me and to let them go. It's also inspired me towards re-scripting my narrative, one that would shift the way I make decisions about my body on every level. I hope this episode was able to invite you to lean into your own inquiries. The female body is incredible and as Dr. Sonia mentioned, one to revere. Life is truly miraculous, and if we awaken to the power of our choices, how might your experience of it shift? Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to sharing this space with you in Season 2 of High Tide. I appreciate you so much, dear listener. Thank you for sharing with me your sacred gift of time and space. I'm sending you so much love and wishing you all the wellness and joy your heart can conjure. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart.